Let's open up in prayer and we'll see what God has for us. God, we thank you again for this time, Lord. God, I just, uh, we want to hear your voice clearly, Lord, to be able to drown out the other things that may be going on inside of us, inside of our minds, Lord, inside of our hearts, God. Help us to be able to settle, Lord, and just focus on your word. I pray, God, that you would just speak through me. It would just be your words, Lord. That it would be your heart. Not Jared's words, not Jared's heart, Lord, but yours. So God, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew 11. Um, so yeah, I think in the White Bibles, it's page 12. I think I remember that from before. In the Blue Bibles, page 688. All right, page 688. Um, so we'll start off with September 8th. We're going to start off with September 8th. I know it's September 23rd, but I have a picture up here. Um, a very significant uh, day for this man. Hopefully it will come up uh, on September 8th. So that, yeah, you could even hand clap because you know where I'm going with this. If you followed the church Facebook page at all, which I highly recommend, I heard it's a great page. Um, so you want to follow it. You want to get your friends to follow it. Very inspiring. Good stuff on there. Um, but I posted a lot of things about uh, this man, and his name is Dr. Uh, uh, Youssef Nadarkhani, and dating back even to three years ago, uh, there's been a story uh, surrounding him, a difficult story, and it certainly plays into our message today of prison ministry. He can firsthand know what that really means and what that's like. Um, and so basically, the short version is. Uh, way back, I think in 2006 is when it all started, um, he was arrested for two charges, apostasy and evangelizing uh, Muslims. Two charges. He was arrested for that because he's a, a Christian pastor and he was kind of in charge of a bunch of house church type networks. And so he got arrested for apostasy, basically meaning he turned from the Muslim faith, so you, that's like, that's a charge, it's a real charge, um, from turning from the Muslim faith and then evangelizing fellow Muslims. So he was arrested, two weeks, then let go. Then his kids go into school, and his kids uh, are being forced to read the Quran. And under Iranian law, it's in Iran, under Iranian law, there is a clause for freedom of religion. And so he goes there and sort of protests and says, hey, listen, I don't want my kids to have to read that. Uh, they can read whatever they'd like under this clause in the Iranian law. So um, the people that he protests to reports him. And so now he is uh, arrested again uh, for protesting. And he's released a little while later. And then what happens is uh, that protest charge, they change it back to his original charge to where now he's also still involved in uh, apostasy and evangelizing. So you can already see like this gets fuzzy, like strange. How can you just change things? Well, that's what they did. Then his wife gets arrested, goes to jail for four months. They have a couple of boys. Goes to jail for four months. Comes back. Now he goes to jail. And he is there um, for the same charges of apostasy and evangelism. And now he is sentenced 
to be executed unless he recants his faith. Unless he says on the stand, I'm not a Christian, I, I don't you know, claim that as my religion. If he does that, he's off. If he doesn't, he's sent to be executed. <clears throat> so, during this three-year span, he's sitting in prison, awaiting to be executed. In the meantime, fellow Christians, brothers and sisters, right? Um, all of us, even this church, uh, we prayed, I think, maybe last year or two years ago for him. <coughs> and Christian brothers and sisters around the world, praying for him. God be with him, be with his family, with his wife, with his kids, you know, and give him strength and set him free. And because part of this whole thing is that uh, there actually is not a clause in the Iranian law for execution for apostasy and evangelism. They actually believe it or not, made that part up. But they had a very sort of high up, high ranking Muslim leader add that part to the law, so that's why people went along with it. So it's all bogus. It's really just all bogus stuff. Totally unfair. So, on September 8th, he is let go a couple weeks ago. He's let go. They released him of the charge of apostasy because that's what would have gotten him executed. They still kept the charge of evangelizing Christians and they said the term for that was three years in prison. Well, since he just served his three years, they said, okay, you're free to go. So September 8th was an awesome day for Yusef and his family. Yeah, phenomenal. Huge. You know, we're going about our lives and doing whatever and caught up in whatever and just having tunnel vision on just our little world and there's this whole other world of our brothers and sisters facing the real deal stuff head on and it, the story doesn't always work out like that which we'll find today but it did for him in this case and he wrote a letter uh, thanking fellow Christian brothers and sisters and so I wanted to read it to you so you can hear uh, what he says <coughs> So he starts off <clears throat> with a verse, uh, Psalm 115. Here's what he says. So he starts off with the verse that says, Not to us, Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory for your faithfulness, for your loyalty. What a way to start off right away. Three years in prison. Not to us, but to your name be the glory. Wow. So he says, I glorify and give grace to the Lord with all my heart. I am grateful for all the blessings that He gave me during my whole life. <clears throat> I am especially grateful for His goodness and divine protection that characterized the time of my detention. I also want to express my gratitude towards those who all around the world have worked for my cause. Or should I say, the cause that I defend. I want to express my gratitude to all of those who have supported me openly or in complete secrecy. You are all very dear to my heart. May the Lord bless you and give you His perfect and sovereign grace. Indeed, I have been put to the test, the test of faith, which is, according to the Scriptures, more precious than perishable gold. But I have never felt loneliness. I was all the time aware of the fact that it wasn't a solitary battle, for I felt all the energy and support for the, of those who obeyed their conscience and fought for the promotion of the justice and the rights of all human beings. Thanks to these efforts, I have now the enormous joy to be 
by my wonderful wife and my children. I am grateful for these people through whom God has been working. All of this is very encouraging. During that period, I had the opportunity to experience in a marvelous way the scripture that says, Indeed, as the sufferings of Christ abound for us, our encouragement abound through Christ. He has comforted my family and has given them the means to face that difficult situation. In His grace, He provided for their spiritual and material needs, taking away from me a heavy weight. The Lord has wonderfully provided through the trial, allowing me to face the challenges that were in front of me. As the scripture says, He will not allow us to be tested beyond our strength. Despite the fact that I have been found guilty of apostasy, according to a certain reading of the Sharia, I am grateful that He gave the leaders of the country the wisdom to break that judgment, taking into account other facts of that same Sharia. It is obvious that the defenders of the Iranian right and legal experts have made unimportant effort to enforce the law and the right. I want to thank those who have defended the right until the very end. I'm happy to live in a time where we can take a critical and constructive look at This has allowed the writing of universal texts aiming at the promotion of the rights of man. Today we are debtors of these efforts provided by dear people who have worked for the respect of human dignity and have passed on to us these universal significant texts. I am also debtor of those who have faithfully passed on the word of God, that very word who makes us heirs of God. And before ending, I want to express a prayer for the establishment of an unending and universal peace so that the will of the Father be done on earth as it is in heaven. Indeed, everything passes, but the word of God, source of all peace, will last eternally. May the grace and mercy of God be multiplied to you. Amen. Yusef Nadakarni. How awesome is that? And what a powerful letter. Head on, you know, dealing with it in the trenches. I don't know how many of us or how many people, you know, would be at church if they knew that they would be going to jail for that. I just don't know, you know, how many people would actually do that. But he cared that much about it and Christ had that much of a place in his life where he's like, I don't care. Whatever it takes, we have to get the word out and share Christ. So from there, we springboard into another person that was in prison. John the Baptist. John the Baptist was in prison. And at this point in time, Jesus is going around and He really just set His hands on His apostles in inner circles and He says, hey listen, you guys are going to do what I just have been doing. You're going to raise people from the dead. You're going to heal people. You're going to set people free. But it's going to be difficult. It's going to be a rough road. And he says, in fact, at times, all you're going to be left with is me and that's it. And after he's done speaking with them and kind of giving them a training session about what they're about to encounter, which is what we talked about a few weeks ago, we pick up Matthew chapter 11. And so it says, after Jesus had finished instructing his twelve disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, 
Those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you the truth, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing, and forceful men lay hold of it. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. To what can I compare this generation? They are like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling out to others, We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Here's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. So you can see at this point what's going on. John the Baptist is in prison. How did he get there? What did he do? Was he driving fast in Georgia? Like, what happened? Was he baptizing without a certification? You know, I don't know what was going on there. He gets arrested, gets thrown in jail. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. While he's in prison, Christ has been out and about doing his Messiah thing. Healing people, raising people from the dead, calming the oceans, doing everything that you would think a Messiah might be doing. And John is confused. He's confused. He's like, wait, what? I'm in jail. It doesn't seem like Jesus really wrote him letters while he was in jail. It doesn't seem like Jesus went and visited him. Uh, It doesn't seem like Jesus maybe even sent people to go check in on him to see how he was doing. And so John is confused. He's like, what is... What's going on? You know, and so he sends his disciples out. John's disciples. He sends them to Jesus. Hey, um, are you the one that we were talking about? The one that I was standing on the riverbanks and baptizing people and saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord. You know, I thought you were the guy. You know, are you that guy? And then Jesus says, you know, well, yes, I am. He says, in fact, you know, here's what I've been doing. And then as John's disciples kind of turn around to leave, then Jesus gives um, really a confirmation of who John the Baptist really is to the rest of the crowd. It's kind of a teachable moment. So, for us this morning, we're going to look at three parts. Um, we're going to look at uh, John the Baptist, his circumstance and his expectations, because we can always relate to that. We're, we're going to look at um, how we should never forget what Jesus does and has done. And then our last part, we're going to reflect on uh, are we hearing or are we listening? And then we'll uh, close up with communion. So here's the first part. It says his circumstances, that's John the Baptist, 
John the Baptist, his circumstance and his expectations created confusion. So everybody say circumstance. circumstance. Yep, and everybody say expectations. Expectations. Right, his circumstance. He was in jail. He was in jail. Bad place to be. Pretty desperate place to be. In a bogus way. He didn't do anything wrong. He actually ended up in jail because he was speaking the truth about a situation. The guy who was ruling that province, he was actually married to his brother's wife. So if Josh back there who runs the sound and does an excellent job every week, right? So if he was old enough and he was married and he had a wife, you know? Yeah. And if, uh, you know, <clears throat> I left Julie and went and married, you know, his wife, John the Baptist was like, you can't do that. That's wrong. That's a sin. You can't do that. And so the wife didn't like that. She's like, whoa, you know, I don't like that. And so she went way out of her way to go after this guy. So much so that she got him put in prison. For what charges? Who knows? It doesn't matter. They had the power. Totally unfair. Sometimes that's the way it goes. So that's why he's in prison. And his ending isn't really like Yusef's ending. He actually dies in prison. You know, and what does that happen? So because somebody wasn't praying hard enough for John the Baptist? Was it because he had some sin that maybe he didn't ever, you know, never confessed? No. It's just the way it goes sometimes. At the end of the day, all glory goes to God, whatever it is. That's what it's about. Glory going to God. Not necessarily about figuring it out. So his circumstance gave him some doubts. And I'm really led to believe that Jesus didn't keep too much in contact with him while he was in prison. And his expectations created confusion. So he's in prison. Things seem bad. They don't seem like they're going well. And then, he had an expectation that this Messiah, this Jesus, was going to come, like it says in Isaiah 9, and the government will be upon his shoulders and he will rule. And so John the Baptist thought, hey man, he's going to come in here, he's going to take our land back, he's going to rule this area, kick Rome out, and we will have our place. That's part of the story. The other part is he's supposed to come, the first part, the most important part, is he's supposed to come, take away the sins of the world, have that be evidenced by healings, miracles, signs, and wonders, and then he comes and takes his kingdom and puts that here, which still has yet to happen. But he was taking care of part one. So John was confused. I think that we can relate to that. Have you ever been confused by what Jesus is doing? Have you ever been at a place where you're like, I do not understand how this is happening? Now there's a difference for the believer in Christ who really belongs to Christ and for the person that doesn't. So the person that doesn't really belong to Christ, it's like they try and sort of be a good person, not keeping the Bible and Jesus at the center of everything that they're doing. And then when something bad happens, they say, oh, you know, Lord, God, where are you? Where are you? And so now it comes back on God now. I mean, you haven't given him anything that he has asked in the way that he has asked. And then when it happens, you know, people come running to him. But for the believer in Christ, who tries to center their lives around Christ and around his message, 
and around loving Him and being obedient to Him. And then something happens. Some kind of tragedy occurs. Somebody gets sick. Somebody loses a job. Something gets incredibly difficult. And then you say, God, I don't understand that. I'm putting you at the center. I'm trying to be as faithful as I possibly can. And I don't understand what is going on. That's where John the Baptist is at. And that's kind of crazy to think because he had an experience with God. So one, that's encouraging because it's always nice to see in the Bible. We see these people, these men or women of faith. And at times they just, you know, they doubt and they just, they struggle. They're no different than us. They're no different than us. But John had a real experience with God. This is the one that was prophesied about. I think on the next slide, right, in Isaiah 40, verse 3, I mean, it was written about John. This is who he is. He's that guy in the wilderness with the leather belt, looking crazy, eating honey and wild locusts. Talk about organic like that. He is organic. So he's out there and he's yelling and he's saying, Repent. The kingdom of heaven is near. He's the forerunner before Christ. And what happens in Matthew 3.16, which is on the next slide, in Matthew 3.16, he actually baptizes Jesus. He himself does it. So it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him and landing on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Can you imagine? Like if we were down to Bethany right now, and you got baptized, and the heavens opened, and God said, This is my son or daughter, who I am well pleased. We'd be like, Did that just happen? Oh my, like then what do we do? You know, that's amazing. Amazing. John had this. Like, he experienced it. He was the guy doing the dunking. And it happened. But then he's in prison and he's like, I don't know if this is the one anymore. And God just told him. He lived it. It just goes to show you, like, we're just human so much at the end of the day. And we can be confused by our circumstance and our expectation. It can easily happen. That happened to John the Baptist. And we shouldn't beat ourselves up for it and say, oh, you know, I'm a bad Christian or a bad person. That shouldn't happen. Doubt can sometimes creep in, but you can't let it live there. You can't let it live there. We can't let it live there. We're not called to understand all of it. So that's the first part. That's how this whole story starts. John the Baptist, he's confused. I don't understand. I don't get it. So what does he do? He does the right thing. He goes right to Jesus. And I think that's a nice model for us. If there is confusion and there is doubt, based on our circumstance and our expectations, we should run right to Jesus. So that's what he does. And so how does Jesus respond in verse 4? It says, Jesus replied, Go back and report to John what you hear and see. 
The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. So the first part for us, that I think we have to own and take home from the passage, is our circumstances and our expectations can sometimes create confusion. If John isn't immune to it, we're certainly not immune to it. So then the next part that we have to focus on, number two, is never forget. Never forget. That was Jesus' response. He said, hey, listen, go back and report what you hear and what you see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. The good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away. He's saying, remember all this stuff that I am doing. Look at what's going on. Whenever I hear the phrase, never forget, I think of 9-11. Right away. Right? And so we've got a picture up there. 9-11, right? that metal fell like that. Um, you know, and the phrase is never forget. And never forget a lot of things. Never forget all those people, you know, innocent people that passed away. Um, never forget uh, the sacrifice of so many for so many people that they didn't even know. Um, never forget that there is a real battle going on. A real battle going on in a spiritual realm. And Evil was really portrayed on that day. I think one of the greatest causes for a belief in a God or a higher power is the fact that evil is around. That one, I think, is easy to tell. That was an evil day. I mean, who does that? Who does that? That's evil, right? That's evil. So never forget, in the Christian life, that is critical for us. So important that we don't forget what God has done. Because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. In fact, I can pretty much guarantee you that storms are certainly at some point in the future. Maybe sooner than later. Maybe later than sooner. But at some point, they're there. And then at some point, we may get confused. We may start to doubt. We may get tossed around a little bit. And if we never have some sort of marker, mile marker to look back on, or some sort of, I wouldn't say monument, but some sort of faith type things in our house to look back on, you're going to say, well, I don't know what to do. I don't remember God ever being around. Or I don't remember Him encouraging me at any other point. I don't remember how he used to encourage me. I don't remember somebody giving me some verses. I don't remember somebody saying that they were going to pray for me. Or I don't remember that time when God spoke to me through his word when I was reading it and there was a word there that I really needed and that spoke to my heart in a special way. If we don't like record that stuff and make that as important as it is and be intentional about it, that's going to come back to bite us. Because Satan wants us to forget that, wants to get us to be distracted away from that, and have us not easily recollect that. He would love that. See, many times we get caught in this thing where it's like we're bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's just not a fair fight. And Satan knows what he's doing. 
And we have to gear it up, that spiritual armor, in the way that the Word says to do it. And part of that is remembering how faithful God has been. So we're called to never forget. And that's why Jesus said, hey, listen, look at what I'm doing. See if this lines up with the Word and see if this lines up with what the Messiah should be doing. I know you're in jail and I know you're struggling, but I'm faithful. I'm doing the work that I'm supposed to be doing. So here's that third part. So he said, our circumstance and our expectations, sometimes they create confusion. But we don't want to live in the doubt. We don't want to live there. Second part is, Jesus responds with a never forget. So we want to keep track of what we are doing and what God has done. He has been faithful. But could you say it? If your homework this week was to go back and then on each one day, one day this week, try and write down some key points in your life where God has been faithful and then how you've seen it. Not just like a feeling, but you could actually record, remember all oh, that verse, that time, or that thing that person said. Could you actually do it? You want to really think about that. And if it doesn't come that easy, it's time to start having some tunnel vision on those things and start locking into that. We all have to do that. And not try and take credit maybe in ourselves. Oh, well, you know, I worked really hard at that and I got myself through and I was able to do it. And you start putting ourselves in there. Or sometimes people give you all the credit when it's a difficult time. Man, I don't know how you do it. That's amazing how you handle that. That's so great how you're able to do that. And we could be like, yeah, actually, you know, it is pretty difficult, but uh, yeah. I've been working on it, you know. <laughs> or we could say, yeah, like, <laughs> I feel pretty desperate, but I don't know. God is actually doing this through me. And it might sound like nonsense to them. But if they're hearing that from you, Christian number one, and then they hear it again from Christian number two later, and Christian number three later, after a while they're like, what? Maybe there like, is something to this thing. So here's the last part. Are you hearing or are you listening? That was a big part towards the end here, verses 7 through 18. And the phrase where I get that from, Jesus says in verse 15, He who has ears, let him hear. Because at this point in time, Jesus is saying, Hey, listen, John the Baptist is the real deal. Our paths look different right now, where I, Jesus, am out here healing and doing the work of the kingdom right here, right now. And John the Baptist is in prison. And it seems like we're on two different roads and two different paths. But Jesus is saying, hey listen, he's the real deal. He's doing everything he was supposed to do. In fact, in verse 11, among those born of women, there's not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Jesus never said that about anyone else in the whole Bible. He said about John the Baptist, no one else greater than him. And then Jesus tried to clarify because again, the people listening could be confused. All oh, the people that are with Jesus, you know, are going out and doing this and the people that are with John, you know, they're in prison and they might think they're different and Jesus is saying, no. We're doing our different things but all glory is going to be going to God in the end. We have our different paths. So he 
who has ears, let him hear. So it says, are you hearing or are you listening? I hear that phrase a lot. Maybe you've heard it growing up. Maybe you've heard it. Yeah, I hear you. But are you listening? Right? That's a disciplinary phrase that you might have heard or that you might have used. I think I probably use it a couple hundred times a day at school. I'm just in the classroom and going through stuff and it's just am- it's amazing how you can look at the kids and they're looking right at you, locked in. And it's just you say something and then I- I'll just go right back. What did I just say? And they just, huh? <laughs> Nothing. Like, you just look. You were eye contact with there. He was engaged. Whew, gone. Just Nothing. And then I'd say, did you hear anything that I said? I, I heard something. I said, okay, are you ready to listen now? Okay, Mr. Murphy, I'm ready now. And then like, okay, we got it again. And then now like it delivers. So sometimes like we're hearing, it's amazing how people can be in church. They can hear the songs. They can hear the message. They could hear on the radio, the pastor on the radio. They could hear the Christians around them and the message that they're delivering forward. And they hear it. Certainly some noise going on and there's like some religious stuff in there and there's something about the Bible and a Jesus and a God and some good things and I don't know if I agree with all of it but I'm hearing some things and then there's other people that they hear it and that, you know, that voice inside them they're like, wait, this is important. Something about this is right. I don't know what it is totally but something about this, there's something right about this and I need to listen to what's actually going on here. And they start to listen, they start to apply it. And so that's what Jesus says many times in the New Testament. Whoever has ears, you know, let him hear. In other words, don't let this be noise. If you're hearing this and something is resonating with you, go after that resonation. Go figure out why. Listen to that. There's truth behind it. And Jesus encourages them to do that. He encourages us to do that. And there's a big difference. We want to be Christians who listen. A huge part, the, the most important part, really the one message John the Baptist had was repentance. That was his message. That was it. He was like a, a one-trick guy. Not really a trick, but a one-message guy. Repentance. Repentance, repentance, repentance. That was his deal. They'd come out. He'd be looking crazy. I picture him as like, you know, very mentally unstable. Probably yelling a lot. Probably really socially awkward. Just a weird guy. You know, but God's hand was on him. And he was doing his thing at the river. And people were responding. And his message was, repent. You need to get your life straight before God. Because Jesus is coming and you want to accept Him. So right now, repent. It's a critical part to the Christian life. I think there's probably you know two parts, maybe you could argue some more, two parts critical to the Christian life. Repentance and forgiveness. Two cornerstones we've got to have locked up. And repentance for us has to be like breathing. God is continuously molding us into the likeness of Jesus. Continuously. And there's stuff that has to get worked out. We've got these sinful bodies, we've got these sinful thoughts and sinful attitudes. And those are things that come easy, that come like second nature to us. And when we realize it and God shows us, hey listen, that's not right. You've got to fix that. 
or that's not good, or that's not what a holy person, that's not somebody who pursues after me, you don't want that. And then we're called to say, oh my Lord, okay, I confess it, and now I try and repent of it. So I confess it, I say it back to God, and acknowledge it with Him, and then I try not to go back to it. And depending on what it is, you might have to repent a couple hundred times. Sometimes people are locked in some patterns that haven't been good for a long time. But the hope and the idea is, as soon as Jesus makes it alive to us and has us see it, we respond to it. And we repent. It's got to be like breathing for us, like second nature. Repentance. God, I just, oh man, I'm sorry. I got to turn from that. I got to be done with that. I got to get rid of it. I can't wait any longer. C.S. Lewis, we got a quote from C.S. Lewis up here. He says that we have a strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. You know, kind of like, you know, out of sight, out of mind, and it's just whatever, you know. We have a strange illusion that mere time cancels sin. But mere time does nothing either to the fact or guilt of sin. The guilt is washed out not by time, but by repentance and the blood of Christ. Right? A good, good quote right there. And it's true. That guilt and what we call conviction of God telling you, hey, listen, that's not good. That's just, it's not going to be helpful. I mean, it's up to you. It's your choice. I've given that to you. But I'm also telling you, that's not going to be good for you in the end. And you've heard it from this person. You've heard it from that place. You've heard it here. Then it's up to us. Then it's up to us. Well, I have read this past week that a little girl, a little girl's definition of repentance was sorry enough to never do it again. Are you sorry enough to never do it again? I thought that was a pretty good definition from a little girl. Am I sorry enough that I just did that or that God showed me that Well, I'm now willing to say, all right, I'm going to try and just quit that altogether and not have any part. It's a pretty good definition. And that was the message. And Jesus was just re-emphasizing the message. That was John the Baptist's message, and that's my message. His time basically is coming to an end, but my time is here. Believe in me and follow me. What we're going to do is we're going to take communion what a perfect time to take some time and just repent and be honest with God about whatever you got. Whatever it might be. Maybe whatever He's been, I don't know, stirring in your heart and trying to share um, with you and trying to guide you. Maybe you've been ignoring for a while. Maybe uh, there's some confusion that has led to maybe some doubt that has led to complacency that has led to not really knowing, you know, not, to not doing anything. Maybe you need to be repentant of that. I can think of that for myself personally many times. Too many to say, unfortunately. Um, I think it's headed in a good direction now. I can say that. But um, I don't know what it might be, you know, for you. Um, but I would also ask God, you know, Lord, what are some things that I need to repent of? You might know right now, and it just might be so obvious. But maybe you've never taken it seriously. So we have some time now to do that. And so uh, Josh is going to play uh, uh, 
Jesus paid it all, and uh, I'll pass out the communion uh, elements and then hold on to it, and then we'll take it together.